You're listening to a podcast from Northern Lights Metropolitan Community Church. This is highlights from our weekly service. Welcome to Northern Lights MCC, part of a worldwide denomination who celebrate the inclusive love of God for everyone. You're welcome here if this is your first time this is your regular church, you've been coming for many months or many years, or this is the first time back for a while, it's lovely to see you all. Tonight is the second in our series during Lent, Coming to Life in Christ. Jesus is the fulfilment of the law and the prophets. We'll learn more about what this means for us when Morgan brings his thoughts to us. For many of us, this will have been a busy week and a busy day. So as we come to worship God and hear her words to us, let's take a moment to still our hearts and open our inner ears. Creator God, we thank you for bringing us into your presence. We pray we would meet with you and hear the things you have to tell us for our lives. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. The first reading is from Exodus, chapter 34. So Moses chiseled out two stone tablets like the first ones and went up Mount Sinai early in the morning, as the Lord had commanded him. And he carried the two stone tablets in his hands. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. Then the Lord said to Moses, Write down these words, for in accordance with these words I have made a covenant with you and with Israel. Moses was there with the Lord forty days and forty nights, without eating bread or drinking water. And he wrote on the tablets the words of the covenant the Ten Commandments. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the covenant law in his hand, he was not aware that his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. When Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses, his face was radiant and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them, so Aaron and all the leaders of the community came back to him and he spoke to them. Afterwards, all the Israelites came near him, and he gave them all the commands the Lord had given him on Mount Sinai. This is the word of the Lord. The Gospel reading tonight is from Matthew chapter 17, verses 1 to 9. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun and his clothes became as white as the light. Just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son, whom I love. 
With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground, terrified. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. When they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus instructed them, Don't tell anyone what you have seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Lord of eternity, who dwells in humanity, we seek your help for each one of us this evening to discern for ourselves from the gospel a personal understanding of the breadth and depth of your transformative love as God the Creator, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Amen. In thinking about what I might talk about today, I've been very conscious of how often I don't know what to say. I'm not just talking about preparing a formal talk or a sermon, though that might be a good example. And it's not just when I'm trying to react to the apparently intractable problems facing the world, whether it's in Yemen or Syria, whether it's climate change or preventative disease, or whether it's inhumanity or bigotry in our own country. I'm also thinking about the sort of personal situations we all find ourselves in when it's difficult to know what to say. And sometimes silence doesn't seem the right thing to do either. Nor is it always the best response to follow the words from the film The King and I and fill the uncomfortable gap by whistling a happy tune. I'm thinking of situations like when a friend tells you or me that she has recently lost a close relative. Or another friend says that he has just heard very bad news from the doctor. Even at the other extreme, it can be difficult, like when a friend is totally excited about something great happening in their life. What words can match the unexpected happy news? So we can but try. And sometimes our immediate reaction is a stream of words which are barely more than gibberish. Later, we might reflect on the words which somehow came out of our mouth and think, I didn't know what I was saying. Charlotte has just reminded us about four friends going for a hike up a mountain. They'd gone for walks like this a number of times before, and they sort of knew what to expect. After a while, they stopped for a rest, and Jesus took the opportunity for a time of prayer. Everyone else followed his example. But in the words of Jesus recounted in another part of Matthew's Gospel, the spirit may be willing, but the flesh is weak. Unfortunately, this is often very true, and it was true then. Despite their best intentions to concentrate in prayer, all three disciples nodded off. 
most of us have had a similar experience. And so far, there was nothing exceptional about this walk. But when Peter, James and John came around from their doze, something extraordinary was going on. They suddenly became aware of their traveling companion, Jesus, in a different light, literally in a very different light. We're told that the clothes of Jesus no longer look like his standard garb, plus inevitably some dust gathered during the trip up the mountain. Instead, the clothes of Jesus now appeared to be dazzling white, and his face was shining like they've never seen before. In the words of Matthew, his face shone like the sun. Now, he was still recognisably their friend and leader, Jesus. But in another sense, he seemed almost beyond human. To add to this bizarre development, Jesus had acquired two new companions. They were human in the sense that they were people talking with Jesus. But in other ways, they seemed just as dazzling and otherworldly as Jesus appeared to be. These two guys were people who Peter, James, and John had never met. But there was something about them which quickly made Peter, James, and John convinced that they were not total strangers. Very quickly, they realized that the two new companions were personalities who Peter, James, and John almost felt they had known forever from their years of study of scripture. The two figures with Jesus seemed to be none other than Moses and Elijah. So when, on the one hand, your leader and your friend looks a lot less normal than he did an hour ago, while on the other hand, two long-dead heroes of your childhood look unbelievably real, what words might be appropriate? What would you say? What does Peter say? Well, we're told he says something like, wow, I can't believe we got to see this, which sounds fair enough in the circumstances. In the words we heard from our gospel reading from Matthew, he said, Lord, it is good for us to be here. But Peter feels that something else should be said. So he continues, should we start building three shelters, one for Jesus, one for Moses, and one for Elijah? These might seem like the words of someone who feels they need to say or do something, but not sure exactly what. It's like trying to create some sense out of something which doesn't make sense. It's like trying to fill the silence with something vaguely positive, without whistling a happy tune. This evening, our focus is on the account of Matthew. Now, there are substantially similar accounts in the Gospels of Luke and Mark, although the details vary a little bit. Mark adds at this point the comment that Peter said, uh, he said this because he didn't know what to say, because they were all so frightened. Luke records that although the disciples were not frightened at this stage of the experience, it was simply that Peter did not know what he was saying. So they seem to agree that Peter was clearly out of his depth of understanding, but he was the sort of guy who had to fill the space with words, whether he knew what he was saying or not. 
Anyway, back to Matthew's account. We read that while Peter was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them and a voice from the cloud said, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. I'm interested to note that Peter's chatter was interrupted by God. It's almost as if God had heard enough from Peter. We're told it was while Peter was still speaking that God spoke. Anyway, according to both Matthew and Luke, it was at this point when they heard God speaking, at this point, they fell face down on the ground, terrified. And then their amazing experience started to move back closer to normality. Jesus touched them reassuringly. He encouraged them not to be afraid. And he suggested that they might get up off the ground. The disciples did look up with some trepidation and found that Jesus was alone again. Then, presumably more than a little stunned, they gathered up their things and walked back down the mountain. As they walked, the immediate reaction of each disciple might have been that he had experienced a remarkably vivid dream. On the other hand, it would have been incredible if all three disciples had experienced exactly the same dream, including the same details of what Peter had said and the same words of the voice of God. The similarity of the accounts was essential for credibility among the Jews as it would be for us today. In addition, it was during the cold light of day as they walked down the mountain that Jesus made a comment which confirmed that there had not be only been a shared experience, but a joint experience. Jesus said, don't tell anyone what you have seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. Now, they may not have understood at the time the significance of the second part of this instruction about the Son of Man being raised from the dead, but the first part, don't tell anyone what you have seen, confirmed that they had really experienced something rather than imagined something. There was certainly something that they had all seen. The details of that something remain very difficult for us to visualize. Even with accounts in three gospels, we only have a very few details to go on. Many painters have tried to visualize what took place, and maybe one or more of these representations is helpful for you. I've decided against selecting one of these over another because reaction to art is such a personal matter. What might be meaningful for one person may not be meaningful for another. But however you prefer to visualize the historical experience of what happened, I suggest that for once the meaning of what happened is easier to fathom than the event itself. The Gospels contain many accounts of events or stories or sayings which at first appear to be very straightforward, but about which on reflection there are many possible interpretations. In contrast here, there appears to be an unusual consensus among theologians about the significance of the extraordinary experience during the walk on the mountain. The first point of the event is directed primarily to the Jews. It's dramatic confirmation 
that Jesus really is the Messiah. He is the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. Could not have been more symbolic that the two people speaking with Jesus were Moses and Elijah. Moses was regarded by the Jews as the source of the law, whereas Elijah was viewed as the leading prophet. Therefore, the message to the Jews was that Jesus is not only on the same exalted level as Moses and Elijah, but on an even higher level than that. This is my son, whom I love. Listen to him. The Jews would have been accustomed to the veneration of Moses and Elijah, erecting tabernacles in their honour. And this might explain Peter's immediate reaction. His instinctive thought process probably went, Moses and Elijah erect tabernacles. He didn't wait to think about what was happening or what words would be appropriate. He just said what first came to his mind, Moses and Elijah, tabernacles. To further underline the symbolism, Peter, James, and John would have been well aware of the account in the book of Exodus of Moses receiving the Ten Commandments, as we heard earlier. As we heard earlier, Moses was also engulfed by a cloud in a mountain. Moses also heard the voice of God there. And Moses was also seen to have a remarkably radiant face. So even if Peter, James, and John were not in a fit state to understand everything at the time, the message would appear with considerable clarity when they thought about it over the next few days. Whatever their state of mind at the time, and even during the few days which followed, after the death and resurrection of Jesus, the disciples came to regard their experience as being extremely significant. We noted earlier that even after a lapse of quite a few years, Three of the gospel writers included a specific account of what happened, with John's gospel also incorporating it indirectly, in addition to other references in the New Testament. So it was only after the resurrection that the disciples could make more sense of the instruction of Jesus as they came down the mountainside. Remember the words, don't tell anyone what you have seen until the Son predicted what we now refer to as the Transfiguration makes more sense in retrospect. So not only was Jesus part of continuum, linking back to Moses and Elijah, there is also a continuum of messages from on high, starting with the birth of Jesus, through the baptism, through the uh, experience in the mount, through the death of Jesus, um, through the resurrection, through the ascension, and on to Pentecost and beyond. The transfiguration is one part of the revelation that God the Creator became God the Son and remains with us as God the Holy Spirit. This continuum is emphasized when we note the biblical context of today's reading. The experience on the mountain recounted in today's reading in Matthew 17 follows an exchange between Jesus and Peter recorded in Matthew 16, when Peter concludes that Jesus is the Messiah. and Therefore, he can't get his head around the statement, Jesus is the human who must suffer and then as they walk down the mountain, Peter's focus is redirected to the human, with Jesus calling himself the Son of Man. 
His understanding is immediately twisted back yet again when Jesus talks about being raised from the dead. So it's hardly surprising that Peter struggles to find words to make sense of all this. Is he the son of God? Is he the son of man? Son of God? Son of man? You know, the transformative power of Christianity to me comes from the combination of Jesus being both the son of God and the son of man. And so my personal understanding is that Jesus did not cease to be the son of man when he was confirmed by God on the mountain to be the son of God. To Peter, despite the radiance, Jesus remained recognizably his human friend, Jesus. Jesus retained human characteristics in appearance and communication while being transformed in other ways. So I feel comfortable with the dictionary de uh, description of transfiguration insofar as it translates as changing appearance very much or even changing from one appearance into another. I'm less comfortable with the original Greek word metamorphosis insofar as that implies changing completely into another form, like the permanent change from a caterpillar into a butterfly. To me, this type of metamorphosis could be seen as challenging the concept of God remaining the father while simultaneously being the son. So to me, a very significant message of today's gospel is a powerful early dramatization of the doctrine of the Trinity. And so the word transfiguration is for me more helpful than metamorphosis if we need to summarize something incredibly complicated within a single word. With the benefit of hindsight, it's probably a little easier for us to grasp all of this than it was for Peter, James, and John. With the switches in emphasis from the human to the divine, back to the human, back to the divine, I have great sympathy with Peter. After all this time, it's still quite a mystery for us that it's possible to combine meekness and majesty, manhood and deity, while the Lord of eternity dwells in humanity and washes our feet. We noted earlier that Peter was so overwhelmed at seeing the transfiguration of Jesus that he spoke almost an autopilot without really knowing what he was saying. He resorted to images of his youth to try to formulate a coherent response. His closest comfort blanket was the image of creating shelters in honor of the great men of history. And similarly for us, it might sometimes be helpful to frame our thinking of the love of God revealed through the transfiguration by using familiar words, especially the familiar words of song. Words like, love divine, all loves excelling, joy of heaven to earth, come down. This hymn about changing from glory into glory is relevant at Christmas and at Easter. It makes sense at Pentecost, but also at Transfiguration. Another example comes from a song we often sing here, which begins, Meekness and Majesty. Love indestructible in frailty appears. Lord of infinity, stooping so tenderly, lifts our humanity to the heights of his throne. These lyrics can be helpful when we try to find words to understand Christmas or Easter. 
they can also be particularly helpful words when we, like Peter, try to find words to encapsulate that wonderful experience on the mountain. Love indestructible in frailty appears. Lord of infinity, stooping so tenderly, lifts our humanity to the heights of his throne. And now, the time when we come to God especially closely and tell him of our needs and our wants. Jesus is the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. He is the bridge between the old world and his new order. We know this because he told us so. And today in our gospel, he showed us definitively who he is. He spoke with the authority that as a Jew, his Jewishness afforded. And as the Messiah of God, he offers us proof. In response to Jesus, Messiah and Lord of all, we say, guide us in all our ways. Jesus, Messiah and Lord of all, guide us in all our ways. Let us pray for the Christian church throughout the world, that discrimination, sectarianism, and self-interest find no place within it, that all are welcome without limitations or restraint. Jesus, Messiah and Lord of all, guide us in all our ways. Let us pray for the protection of our beautiful planet, as it is God's world and God's gift to us, for strengthening the resolve of all people to ensure its continued life and health for the generations to come. Jesus, Messiah and Lord of all, guide us in all our ways. Let us remember all refugees and asylum seekers, particularly those within our own congregation, and those people stuck in refugee camps across Europe and the Middle East, that their needs will be addressed and nearer home, their applications for asylum will be looked upon sensitively and with compassion. Jesus, Messiah and Lord of all, guide us in all our ways.
Let us give thanks for our lives and for the benefits we derive from being a part of this church, for its diversity, which teaches us, for our care for each other, which heals wounds, for its generosity, which enables us to be available to those in need and with the knowledge of the love of God in whom everyone can find a home. Jesus, Messiah and Lord of all, guide us in all our ways. Let us pray for all those affected by the coronavirus, for determination by governments to ensure the best possible care and resources for their citizens. We remember those anxiously awaiting diagnosis and those who live in fear of contagion. We pray to the Holy Spirit to inspire scientists who are seeking a vaccine. Jesus, Messiah and Lord of all, guide us in all our ways. So I ask Lily if she will light the AIDS candle. And as it is lit, we remember all those who have been through or who are presently going through similar feelings of anxiety as those facing the coronavirus and all people who are awaiting the outcome of tests for serious illness. The fear which blights the lives of our sisters and brothers. With a healing touch, we all need in anxious moments of our lives. Jesus, Messiah and Lord of all, guide us in all our ways. And let us pray for all the people who are referred to in our book of prayers before our altar table. That God will bless them, keep them in his love, and that their needs will be met according to God's holy will. Jesus, Messiah and Lord of all, guide us in all our ways. And now we say together the prayer that Jesus gave us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, 
forever and ever. Amen. Let us say the grace to and with one another. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Amen. Go in the peace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God. Thank you for listening to our podcast. For more information about what we do, you can find us on social media or visit our website, northernlightsmcc.org.uk.